everybody. Nice to see some familiar faces, including my mother and aunt. Okay, they're definitely familiar faces. And uh, Nomi Applebaum, a longtime uh, star of a right to adult year. Okay, who else we point out here? Okay, I, I feel sorry. I'm not going to go through everybody just because uh, that won't be fair. But uh, I will just say that uh, today's year is going to be a little bit different than the title. I entitled it Two Talmudic Bali Chuva. It's actually going to be three. I actually shifted gears a little bit, but uh, I don't think anyone will complain for getting one extra Balchuva. Okay, so let's start with uh, showing you sharing screen. Here we go. Okay, and we're going to discover something interesting. Okay, it's always interesting to note um, phrases that only appear a few times. And if they only appear a few times, is there some common denominator? So we're going to see tonight or this afternoon for you, that Rebbe, the famous Rebbe Udanasi, had a phrase he said three times. Each time he saw someone do a dramatic, heroic act that kind of earned him salvation, earned him his place in the world to come, and Rebbe had the same reaction three times. And as far as I know, actually, I'm pretty sure these are the only three times in the Talmud that anyone says this, let alone Rebbe, and interestingly enough, all three are in Avodah So we're going to look at the three stories, and this is one of those shirm we could go two ways. You could analyze each story individually, which I think is a reasonable thing, and you could analyze them kind of collectively. So we'll try to do both. Okay, so before we get to the first story, I'm just going to say, okay, I realize I didn't go through everybody, but a wonderful student named Natan Olif just joined the uh, chat. He got married, Natan, two weeks ago? What was it? One week ago. Okay, one week ago. Here he is, looking married. Okay, Mazal Tov, Natan. Yeah. Are, you, are you back in Israel? Mm -hmm. Are yep, you back in it. Israel? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, here we go. So let's see the first story. Okay, now the Gemara is talking about Azar and Daf Yud is talking about the relationship between Yaakov and Esav. And of course, in Talmudic times, to a great degree, that's the relationship between Jewish life and Roman life, right? That was the manifestation of Esav or Edom. So there's a Gemara that says, sarid There'll be no uh, remnant or survivor to the house of Esav. So the Gemara wants to know, is that universal? No one from the Esav clan survives. So the Gemara says something, I think, nice. No. This is not a genealogical point. This is an action point. If you act like Esav, there's no remnant. But if you act in a superior moral fashion, then you have a remnant. Okay. Amalei Vaktev. We're going to challenge it again. Okay, without getting too many details, the point is there are exceptions. Now, who are the exceptions? So if we skip to the fourth line, Two people get mentioned. Some of them, one of them is pretty famous. You may have heard this. Pra, this except, this uh, the exception is Antoninus Benasphirus. So there's an idea in the Gemara that there was a Roman emperor named Antoninus who actually had a very close relationship with Rebbe, with the Buda Nasi. Now, scholars spend a lot of time trying to identify which Roman emperor Antoninus might have been. Was he Marcus Aurelius? For our purpose, it doesn't really matter. Just that the point is, there is a Roman emperor who sticks out, who has the ability to survive. That is Antoninus. Then it says, I'm still in the fourth line, Kol Prat, Bar Shalom. He is much less famous. 
right? There's a fellow in Ketia Bar Shalom that he's the officer who makes it. So if someone's not in the Talmud perspective, who are the two of the Romans who make it, as it were, who are good people, who make it to salvation? Emperor Antoninus and an official name, Ketia Bar Shalom. Now, right away, those of us who like name symbolism probably will recognize it's unlikely that this Roman fellow's father's name was Shalom, right? So probably there's some symbolism here. And I'm going to suggest that Ketia is probably symbolic also. And even if uh, you're not convinced yet, I think when we start the Gemara, it's going to become pretty clear. Okay, so Ketia uh, Bar Shalom, Kata is to cut. Okay, so what if we say he's the one who cuts the son of peace? Okay, so let's see why that might be an appropriate name for this fellow. And how did he make it? Like, why is he superior to the average uh, Roman? So the Gemara says, Ketia Bar Shalom Mahi. What's the story? There was a Caesar who hated the Jews. So he calls, calls all the noble people and says to them, we have to make a decision. Sorry, I lost the place. Someone who has a wart on his leg. Notice ready the verb? That's going to be a recurring theme. Should he cut it off and live? Or leave it and be in pain. Now, clearly in context, this is a very unnice reference to the Jews. The Jews are the wart of the Roman Empire. We've got this wart. Should we cut it and live or leave it and be pottered? So not surprisingly, the officers all know what answer he wants. Amrulo, better to cut it and live. And now Ketia Bar Shalom takes, shows great courage. Amrulu Ketia Bar Shalom, so Ketia says to all of them, this is a bad idea. Chada, first of all, you won't be able to. Not so easy to wipe at the Jews as you think. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit, but the point is they're spread out. The Jews are not so concentrated. And think about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire extends pretty far. You know, the Roman Empire, they, they made it to Great Britain, right? It's a pretty big uh, area. Are you really going to be able to wipe out the Jewish people? Okay, next. And he says... I'm skipping a little bit. I'll highlight where I am. Also, there's a rule about the world. The world can exist without wind. Okay, sorry, that's still the fine. That's still the argument. Notice which word comes up again. It's like a key word in a literary unit. If you kill the Jews, they'll say you're the sawed-off government. You're a government that lost its size, lost its prestige. See, he's got a series of arguments against trying to wipe out the Jewish people. Again, the whole um, the whole crowd, the whole Roman court was into it, supporting the Caesar. And he says, it's not as easy as you think. They're spread out. The world can't survive without them. They'll call you a sawed-off government. So this fellow, Ketia Bar Shalom, is against it. Now comes, I think, one in my mind, one of the most powerful lines in Gemara about power. Umberle, what does this Caesar say? Mamir Shapir Kamarta. What you said is correct, right? Shapir is something beautiful, something good. Miu called the Zachi Lamalka, but if you beat the king in argument, Shadule Lakamunya Khalila. We throw you into some like you know, uh some uh metal container which you can't get out of. Okay, now it's an amazing thing because basically, what does the emperor say? You've convinced me. It is a bad idea to try to wipe out the Jewish people. But I'm very pretty upset. I don't like being beaten in arguments. So I'm going to put you in this metal chamber till you die. So I think it's like classic, like the uh, 
the corrupting influence of power. If someone gave you a good piece of advice, you simultaneously take the advice, but you're so angry that you lost an argument that you put the guy to death. Okay. So now, Tadavi Nukton Leva Aslan. I'm sorry that makes it a little bit hard. It's going to be easier in the next two Gemara. When they take him out to die, So again, in the Roman Empire, you have a procession, right? He's going out to be killed. And some matron, lady from the side, calls out, right? I guess people catcalled or called out various things. And what does she say? Woe to the boat. Now, I always say this rule. Everybody in this room doesn't realize it, but they all speak Aramaic. Why do you all speak Aramaic? Because you just put an aleph at the end of a Hebrew word, and lo and behold, you speak Aramaic, right? You want to say world, so you take the Hebrew word olam, you say alma, there you go, you speak Aramaic. Okay, so what would mechsa be? So a lot of you are probably familiar, right? When you fly to Israel, you pass through the meches, right? The customs or the tax. So that's what mechsa is. So what does this matron say? Wait, someone's going, this poor boat, it doesn't have the customs tax, it won't get through. Now, what in the world does she mean? She seems to make a negative comment about this fellow Katia. Katia is being taken out to kill. What's his problem? Oh, he's lacking. He's lacking the tax. So look what he does. And this is something that I've never actually fully understood. It's not going to be my main point, but since I have, you know, 23 bright people in the room, maybe one of you will have a great idea. Nafal al-Resha de Arluta. He falls upon his Orla, right? The place of the Brit Milah, his foreskin. Kata. And he cuts it off. Now, before we get a step further, can we all agree that this guy's name was not actually Katia Bar Shalom? Notice we've had the verb kata three times. What were the three again, right? The emperor says, should we cut off the, the wart and live? And then he says, if you kill the Jews, you'll be called the sword off empire. And now it says that he cuts off his foreskin. So clearly there's a theme of cutting off here. And that's why this fellow is called Katia. Fine. But here's where I don't really understand. What does it seem like she's saying? This guy wants to make it with Am Yisrael, but he's uncircumcised. How could he make it? And therefore, he's the boat that can't pay the tax. And as he's heading out to be killed, he gives himself a brit milah. Amar, he says, Now that I've paid the customs tax, now I could get by. Now here's what bothers me. And again, I don't really have an answer, although I don't think it's a terrible question. Right? We have an idea that righteous Noahides do make it to salvation, right? Chassidi umot, make it to Lamaba. How are you a chassid umot holam? So you're a moral, moral person, right? You don't kill, you don't steal, you honor your parents, right? You have a court system, right? You save Jews in the Holocaust, right? Those are the ways that you're a righteous Gentile, right? I never saw anyone say, oh, and on the list is also, make sure you have a circumcision, right? Brim Milah does not seem to be part of the criteria, so unless, now I'm not saying it's a crazy question. I mean, it's a super difficult question. Maybe the guy wants to really identify with Am Yisrael. Maybe there's some kind of conversion act going on here. All I'm pointing out is to be a righteous Gentile, circumcision is not one of the criteria. So I'm not 100% sure why it plays out that the matron says, um, well, this poor boat doesn't have the tax. And only when he circumcises himself does he seem to be able to get by. Okay, guys, I'm, I'm mostly lecturing, if that's okay. The last five minutes will be time for questions. So if anybody really has a suggestion, you could either put it in the chat now or tell me at the end. Okay, so I'm not 100% sure why this Katia has to circumcise himself, but fine, he does. Okay, now I'll point to where I am again. Kika Shadule. Okay, Omar, so he says, now this guy's really a righteous fellow. 
He decides, I guess he was a Roman nobleman, so he was fairly wealthy. Nechasai, all my property, Rabbi Kiva I really uh, admire the Jewish rabbis, right? Rabbi Kiva and his colleagues get all my property. Okay, fine. Yatzer Bikiva Darash Now here we go. Now we get to the dramatic conclusion of our story. Yatsta Barkol, a heavenly voice comes out, Vamar and says, Ketir Barshala Mizuman. Right? He is ready. He's invited. Right. As my t- my students know I can't resist a little Hebrew tangent. Right. What is an invitation about in Hebrew? Ahasmana. You're invited. What is cash called in Hebrew? Right. Although no one uses it anymore. Right. They'll ask you. Well, no one asks you anymore. But they used to ask you, do you want to pay in Mizuman or Ashrai? Right. Mizuman is cash because it's ready. It's invited. So what's Mizuman Lechayalam Haba? Ketia, he's good to go. Straight to Olam Haba. Now comes the line, guys. Remember I said Rebbe has the same line three times? This is the line that the real shirt's about. Bacha Rebbe, Rebbe cries. Vamar, what does he say? Yesh kona olamo There are those that acquire their world in one moment. The yesh kona olamo b'kamashanim. And some acquire their world in many years. And obviously, Ketir Bar Shalom is an example of the first. Right? He was just a Roman nobleman for a long time. He has this heroic gesture. Right, he saves the Jewish people. He speaks up on their behalf and is sentenced to death. He circumcises himself. He gives away his money, right, to a good cause, and he's going to make it to So here, let me tell you what we're going to do here. Rebbe says this three times. So I would like to ask you, what does Rebbe mean, right? And I'm going to give you one possibility now, but we're going to see, I think, another possibility. Okay, I just want to ask one thing, if that's okay. I'm sorry to give a break for a second, but Dr. Traum, can you send my regards to three of your children? Okay, great. It's, it's, I, normally, I don't single people out, but he does have three different sons who went to Raita, so I think he gets uh, he gets special status. Okay, so sorry if you only have one child in Raita. Okay, but the thing I wanted to just ask, Selena Snow, are you from uh, Silver Spring? Okay, we'll see. Her sound is off, so we'll find out. Yes. Okay, yes. so you can't also, because I've taught your son in Araita and now your daughter in Lindenbaum. Correct. Okay? Thank you. So, okay, guys, you get a special call out either for like, the two ways. Do you have three children in one institution or a child in both institutions I teach in? Or you get married in the last month. Okay, all three <laughs> of the, or your mother. Okay, and aunt. Those are the people, that's it. We have now exhausted the people who get a special call out. Okay, so what does Rebbe mean when Rebbe says... Um, Though I he, no, no, Rebbe doesn't say it. He cries. So there's kind of a little bit of the pessimistic version. I don't know who in the room is a pessimist. What would be the pessimistic version? That Rebbe's a bit frustrated? Okay, let's think, guys. What would be the frustrated reason? Reading, Rebbe says, this is not fair. I spend my lifetime trying to be a righteous fellow. And this guy, Ketir Bar Shalom, does it in an hour. He does it in a day and a half. That, that's not the way the world should work. Why Why is it that someone in a Sha'achat could access what took me Shanim Harbein. So again, I can't deny it's a legitimate reading. Those who are more drawn to perhaps a more cynical, or I don't even want to call it a more pessimist reading, that would be the reading. Rebbe frustrated. what took me a lifetime, a lifetime was achieved by this fellow Ketia in a moment. Okay. So I, again, I'll ask you to think about it. I'll give you some, at the end, I'll give you a chance to answer, right? Or you could put it in the chat. Is there another way to read Rebbe's cry? What does Rebbe mean again when he cries and says, there are those who acquire it in a lifetime and those who acquire it in a moment. Okay, now story number two. Okay, so as we pointed out, 
there are three times that Rebbe's inspired to say this. Now, the second one is going to be a little bit more familiar to you, and the third one, even more. Okay, we're going from least famous to most famous. So there are two famous, I think it's a funny thing to say, but I'll say it. There are two famous prostitute stories in the Gemara. Okay, this is not the one of the guy with the seven beds and the tzitzis. This is the other one. Okay, here we go. Amrulav of Lazar They say about this fellow, this guy was incredibly promiscuous. He went to every prostitute known to mankind. He hears that there's a zona across the ocean. By the way, in the other story, it's also a zona across the ocean. And I guess it's like a showing of commitment to the cause of prostitution. You're willing to go take a boat across the ocean to get to some prostitute. And she takes a whole wall full of dinarm for her payment. Again, clearly there's imagery of this guy will overcome any obstacle. He's, he'll pay a lot of money. He'll pass through seven rivers. Ah, Bishad, now it is very similar to the other story, actually. Bishad Hergil Davar, now they're back together. Hefiha, she passes wind. Okay, not a very uh, romantic moment. Amra, she says, just like this gas from my body will never come back to its place. It's a pretty remarkable story, right? You get a little musser from the prostitute. The prostitute says, just like there's no turning back from that gas I passed, passing wind, there's no turning back for you. I'm just going to look at the chat for one second, see what comments people made. Ah, interesting. That is very interesting. So somebody suggests that he just felt bad for Katia being killed. That's very interesting. We have Dan Fendel. And just Dan, according to you, what's the crying, though? Ah, okay. It's, not, it's not really tear crying. It's it's crying out. Ah, okay, fine. Okay, so one possibility. Very good. I knew we'd have some good suggestions here. One possibility is that Bacha might not be a sad cry. And that we require a little bit of homework, right? Do we have uh, arguably happy crying in Jewish history in the word bacha? Now, I'll just do this for one second, because as you guys know, I love Agadah and I love Tanakh, so I can't resist any time it comes up. Um, can anyone think of a either Tamura crying or maybe a biblical crying that arguably is a happy crying? Okay, because we want to check that, right? Does bacha in Jewish literature, does it always have negative connotations or is that not true? So they don't have a, you can call it out if you want to, you can write it on the chat. Anyone have a bacha perhaps in Chumash that might be happy? I mean, it's debatable. But anyone have an idea? Okay, I, I have one, but you could debate it. Uh, who, uh, wait, we have one new message. Let's see who it is. Ah, uh, interesting. Okay, so Yaakov and Yosef, when they meet each other, not, not bad, only one of them cries. If I recall correctly, only Yosef cries. Is that right? Which one? I'm, I'm, now I'm forgetting which one. Because there's a Rashi that one of them was saying, Kriyachma. And I remember, I think it is Yosef that cries, right? I don't know. Okay. In any case, I had a different example in mind, although yours isn't bad. Uh, doesn't Yaakov cry when he first meets Rachel? Now, you could tell me, again, Rashi and other commentaries try to explain why he's sad. Right? Some people say he's sad because he comes empty-handed. But... Couldn't one just say that it's a happy cry? Like maybe bacha doesn't always mean sadness. So I think that would require a little bit of effort to try to work that out. It, does bacha always mean an unhappy cry? Okay, we'll come back to the other suggestion later. Okay, back to the Gemara. 
Okay, so now she has said this rebuke to Elazar Bardodaya. Now, this apparently shakes him up. Now, it's very interesting because in both stories, in this one and the one in Menachot that I referenced, it's like an encounter with a prostitute moves someone to do tshuva. And maybe sometimes you have to hit a certain depth to like turn it around. Halach the Yasha ben Shnei Harim. He sits between two mountains of gold. Hamar, he famously says, Harim begvot bikshulai rachamim. Mountains and valleys, ask mercy for me. Amrulo, they say to him, before we could ask for you, we're going to worry about ourselves. Who says we're going to make it? Okay, now this is a pattern that goes on. So I'm not going to read everything inside. I'll just tell you the other units. He then turns to Shemaim Ba'aretz. Heaven and earth, ask mercy for me. They have the same response, right? We're worried about ourselves. He then turns to the sun and the moon. They also say we're nervous. Right, he goes to the stars and the constellations. Kochav Mazalot. Everybody's got the same answer, right? All the natural forces. We say we're worried about ourselves. Okay, then he has a very, very famous quote. It's good to know where famous quotes come from. Amar ein adaver talui elabi. Nothing. This depends only upon myself, right? There's no magical chuva by turning to various natural forces, various natural entities. Uh, it's up to me. He puts his head between his knees, and he cries, until his soul departs. He cries himself to death. Once again, a heavenly voice comes out, same as the previous one, right? He also makes it, just like this Ketia Bar made it, he made it. Now, let's skip to the next line. And our friend Rabbi Yudanasi shows up once again. Bacha Rabbi Yomar. Rabbi once again cries. Va'amar. Yesh kone olamo b'kama shanim. Yesh kone olamo b'sha'achat. Again, some it takes a lifetime. Some it takes a moment. We already have had various readings. Right? The cynical reading in which he's saying, I'm frustrated. We have Dan, Dan Fendel claiming maybe it's not a sad cry. We'll get to some of the, your other readings in a second. Now Rabbi adds a point. Not only does God receive the repentance, so it's very clever. Notice what he was called throughout this Gemara. He was not called Elazar Bardudaya. He was consistently called Rabbi Elazar Bardudaya. So pretty good deal. Not only did he get the place to Olam Haba, did he achieve salvation, he even got smicha. Right? What a great smicha program. Right, even easier than those fly by night smichas online. Right, one great act, and next thing you know, you're a musmach. You can't beat that. Okay, so that is story number two. Now, I'm gonna do one brief aspect of story two, and we'll get story three and try to put it all together. I will say one thing I do think sometimes a mistake to get caught up in the wrong question, and I hope uh, no one's insulted by this because maybe some of you are thinking it. And I don't mean it's a bad question, it's just not the essential question. Like maybe someone in the room is thinking, what does it mean to talk to mountains? Okay, now I'm not saying it's not a question. Obviously, it is a question. What does it mean to talk to mountains? But I would say that that's not what the story is essentially about, right? The story is essentially about this last minute repentance and how we categorize that. So sometimes like people get very caught up with, does the Kumar really mean this? Is it literal? Again, I am not saying these are silly questions. I'm just saying they're not the essential question. But since some of you might be asking it, we will look at a brief toast vote. 
Tosvot says, says Tosvot. By the way, this, for those of you who don't agree with me, maybe this Tosvot proves me wrong, because this, this is what Tosvot focuses on. Okay, so Tosvot says, Lo lokach, the mounds and the sea, well, the sea's not in it, but the um, the stars do not actually say this. So what's the first approach? Classic rationalism. This was all in Rav Elazar mind. This was his internal dialogue. What would happen if I asked the sun and the moon? They would say, we're busy with our own purposes. We cannot help you. Okay, so that would be one way to deal with it. Inami alternatively says Tosvot, Sar shel harim right? Maybe there's an idea in our tradition that different natural forces have kind of their angelic uh, person in charge. I know person, the angel in charge. Maybe it's the angel in charge of the mountains that answers. Okay, so be that as it may, Tosfut agrees that mountains do not actually converse. So either this is a dialogue within Elazar Dudaya's mind, or this is the angelic intercessor for the world of mountains. But as I said, not that it's a bad question. I really don't think it's the essential question with Mara. I wouldn't have a, the sheer get caught up in that question for the entire time. I think the Gemara is trying to teach me something, however mountains communicate. Okay. With that, let us go to the last story. Uh, and again, these are just great stories. I, again, I can't understand how Yeshiva could skip Agadah. To me, it's like just so interesting. It seems to be like a crime. It's a Talmud crime to skip the Agadot. Okay, here we go. The last story. Now, the last story also involves the Romans, although I guess the middle story did not. And in classic fashion, there were different attitudes how to deal with Roman dominion. And it's always a question, how much are you defiant? How much are you not defiant? They're obviously more powerful, right? And maybe there aren't such obvious answers. So there's a fellow named Rabiosi Ben Kisma who didn't think we should be so defiant. He said, what can we do? They're just more powerful. That's what God wants right now. And Rabbi Chinid Ben Tarajan was very defiant. And he insisted on publicly teaching Torah against Roman edicts. So again, I think that's an interesting question not for us today. Like, what level of defiance are we supposed to have? But now, I'm going to show you where we are. Here we go. So they're returning from Rabbi Yossi ben Kizma's funeral, and they see that this Rechina ben Tarajan is teaching Torah. He's teaching it to a big community. He's got a big shear going there. And he's got a Sefer Torah in his bosom. He's only Sefer Torah close to his chest. Okay, now a lot of you are going to recognize this because it comes up on Tisha B'Av or just because you're generally knowledgeable, but here we go. Even when you'd recognize it, it always pays attention to read it carefully. There's always something more there. So the Karich, they make a sandwich of him. They wrap him in the Sefer Torah. And they have wood around him. They light it. So this is a very painful way to go. They're burning him to death together with the Torah. But it's even worse. You see the Roman cruelty. They bring sponges of wool. And they soak them in water. So he's got both the burning wood and the wool, the wool sponges. Right? They want to be disappointed, right? He might burn too quickly. It won't be fun enough to watch. So we'll have these water, the wet sponges slowing down the flame as Rechim burns to death with the Torah. Okay. Amrulo Bito, so his daughter says to him, Abba, my father, Herecha Bakach, I see you like this. Like, this is terrible. How, how could I watch you like this? Amrulo, so this is just a, such a powerful and beautiful Gemara. Would I be burnt alone? That would really be hard. 
עכשיו שנשרף הספר תורה אין מי? אה, but there's something comforting. Like, one of the things that is most precious to me in this world is right with me now. It's my last moments, but I'm with the Sefer Torah. Mishim revakesh el bonashel Sefer Torah, the one who will seek out the insult of the Torah, will pay back those who are doing it. Hu yivakesh el boni. He's also going to seek out my insult. Okay, so that already is a powerful line to his daughter. Amulo tamidav. And then his students say to him, Rebi ma toroet. Now, a lot of Mepharshim ask, and I'm really just going to raise it as a question, but it's kind of interesting, like, why do they assume he sees anything? Like, somehow there's an assumption of his students, oh, he must be seeing something at this moment. What do you see? Okay, Amrlan, here's what I see. Gilyo Nisrafin, the paper is burning, the parchment is burning, and the letters are flying. Now, again, I realize it's, I think, obvious, but it could be obvious and still beautiful imagery. Like, what's the imagery here? You could burn the physical Torah, but the ideas of Torah cannot be so easily destroyed. And indeed, we live in a world where there is no Roman Empire, and we are still teaching Torah to the next generation. So that, again, I think the double imagery here of, I'm not so sad because I'm with my buddy the Torah, and the, only the parchment is burning, but the letters are flying, I think is very, very powerful. Okay, I'll just say one last thing, just to give credit to my colleague. Uh, those who have children to write, they know that Rabini Freeman... At least, Natan, you'll tell me how many times a year, maybe at least six times a year, is somewhere like in a Roman Colosseum where he says, and where are the Romans today? Okay, so that doesn't, you know, if you ever hear an Aritha student saying, where are the Romans today? They're imitating uh, Rabini Friedman. Maybe even in an Illuminate year, he has at some point said, and where are the Romans today? But so even though we like to make fun of it, there is a power to it, right? Here we have this very powerful empire that ruled the world, and it's gone for a long time, and we're still, we've still got the Torah. Okay, next. Maybe you should open your mouth. And the fire will go in. Meaning they're saying to him, right, maybe it's better if you uh, die faster. Like you're in such pain. Now we get to, there's so many interesting things that I have to do quickly. I apologize. But please, God, you'll all learn for a lifetime. You'll get back to this. Right, we get to the question, can you harm yourself? Can you hasten your death? So it sounds like he doesn't want to open his mouth because he'll die faster. But look at this. Amulo Klitztuniri. So one of the Roman soldiers says, Rebbe. Now, there's one of the Roman soldiers who's really inspired by this. Imani What if I add to the flame? And I remove the sponges. Right? And as a reward for alleviating your pain, will you bring me to Olamaba? Amulo Hain. So he says, yes, that will make the Olamaba. He shavily swear to me, Nishbalo, Miyad shall have it. He does increase the flame. Vinatal Svugan shall tell me the bone. He removes the wet sponges. Yatsa Nishmatoba Miran. It works. Instead of a slow, painful death, he dies very quickly. But look how inspired the um the soldier is. Afu kafats or he says, I almost can't live in this universe where this happened. I jump in the fire also. Yatsa Barko. Now we have our third heavenly voice of the day. Notice both and this Roman official are going to make it. Final line. Bacha Rebbe, Rebbe cries. Now, before we look at a brief toast vote, let's just sum up what we've done here. And I think we've this is one of those great studies because we, we could say we've exhausted all the categories of Shas. Right? We have now, we've gone through a study of Bacha Rebbe. We've done it all. This only happens three times. Again, when does Rebbe cry like this? A, when Ketir Bar Shalom is killed, 
Remember the fellow who stood up for the Jews against the Roman emperor. When um, Eliza Bar-Dudaya dies, the one who does tshuva for seeing every prostitute known in, to mankind. And when Rechim Etaradion and the Roman soldier dies, but again, presumably he's crying about the Roman soldier, right? And again, the constant refrain is, ah, there's the one moment and Kamashinim. Okay, so before we look, we're going to look at Tosfo and then we we'll get to a final idea. But before we do that, um, I think we have a Goldstein grandmother here. Is that correct? I think I recognize you. Okay, you get a quote too for having a student of mine, both in Oraita and in Lindenbaum. Okay, so you've meet the criteria. Please send regards to your two children, two grandchildren, okay? And tell Ella that you're still more serious than she is. Okay, great. Okay, so let's now go to Tosfo. Now, to this is a really fascinating Tosfo, but I'm going to mention it just as an aside. Again, this is the kind of thing where we could just analyze each Kamara. We could try to put them all together. Now, I'm kind of interested in putting them all together, but let's see what Tosfo is interested in. So we saw that Tosfo on the previous Kamara was kind of interested in, um, what was it again? Ah, we actually saw uh, Tosfo in the previous Kamara was interested in, do mountains actually talk? Here he's kind of interested in, can you actually hasten your death? So it is a little trickier because Rechim Etzradun doesn't open his mouth, but, all right, let's read a little bit. Amr Beinu Tam, Teheicha sheyireim peni aviru ma'ovikom la'avera, kaguna al yidei surin shal yuchol amod ben. Now, actually, okay, I misremembered. Toastwood actually makes a contrast. It says, here, Rechim Etzradun said, you're not allowed to try to kill yourself. We're against suicide in Judaism. But says Tosa, what if you're afraid that they'll torture you and they'll torture you into doing the wrong thing? Now, this is quite fascinating because we might think being killed is the worst thing in the world. But someone could say that being tortured could be worse, especially if the torturers want you to go against your principles. So this is a pretty remarkable Tosa. I don't get into depressing topics here, but Tosa seems to think if you know you're going to be forced through torture to do the wrong thing, then you're actually allowed to arm yourself. So I just want to raise it in terms of like Jewish lifeboat ethics. Realize it might not be 100% true that we're always against suicide. Maybe like all other things, Judaism might be a little bit more complex. Kahit again, what was the story in Gittin? There's a story in Gittin where children are being taken to prostitution. What did these children do? They throw themselves into the ocean. And the Gemara seems to be praising them for doing so, not criticizing them. So again, just realize that the, it's true that Judaism's instinctive reaction is very much anti-suicide. But just take note that like all things, it's a little bit more complex. And if you are someone who's afraid of what torture might do to themselves, they actually would be alive, allowed to, I don't know, take a cyanide pill, whatever the case may be. Okay, great. Let us now go. Does anyone, either in the chat or in general, have a comment on what we've done? Uh, you can feel free. Uh, I will now get to the last idea, which I think is going to be like Natan Olif, but I want to again, Natan Olif, but again, I want to contrast it with three other approaches we've already said. Why does Rebbe cry? Okay, number one, he is frustrated. Again, it took me a lifetime, and these three other individuals get it on the cheap. Number two, Dan Fandel. He is not really sad. Not every crying is a sad crying. Number three, I don't remember who suggested this. I apologize. You could uh, give yourself credit. Someone suggested that he's really not crying about the shachat. He's really crying about their death, right? Because there's something tragic here, right? These three people do something heroic. And unfortunately, they die right away, right? That's true about Katia Bar Shalom and about um, 
and about Elazar Dudaya and about uh, this Roman official who remains unnamed. So maybe that's the cry. You want to take credit, whoever that was, who suggested that? I think it's RB. Wait, was that my mother? Mom, was that you? Oh, there you go. I guess I should realize that RB was Rif Dr. Rifka Blau. I just didn't know she had the RB symbol. Okay, way to go. Wait, mom, but you broke you broke your principles. Usually in my shira, my mother only comments if no one's commenting, and she feels like there's been too much silence. But here she uh, she gave the answer right away. Amazing. Okay, mom, great way to go. Mom, you do not have to wait for silence to comment. It is okay. Okay, so those again, we had this the cynical cry, the frustrated cry. We had the, maybe the happy cry, and maybe the crying is for something else. But let us go to the marsha, and I just want to remind you that even though we've said that a lot of famous commentaries do not focus that much on Agadah, right? The Marsha is the most famous um, exception. So those of us who like the Agadic parts of Shas, I think it's very interesting because you end up turning to different commentaries. Like if you're in a legal section, you might say, oh, I've got some interesting questions. Let's check Tosfo. Let's check the Ritva. But they are actually not the main addresses when it comes to non-legal portions. And in fact, in a big Shas, the main address is actually the Marsha. Okay, so Rav Shlomo Edel says, here we go, last source of the day. What are we trying to say here? Sorry. Ah. When you're, you have to, I think, almost emphasize the vav suffix. You acquire his world. Like your world is different. Everyone's world is different. Please God, we'll all make it to Olam Haba. But we'll have my world, not your world. Maybe your world is superior to my world. Maybe my world could be different worlds. Kedam Rinan, and every tzaddik has his or her own area. There's a boundary, right? Here we go. This is you. Rebbe, cry, tell your wife that you got the pshat. Actually, you know what? My mother's thing fits in also. We could combine my mother and Natan. This fellow, unfortunately, only acquired his world in one moment. He did not merit to a greater level. So I think according to Marsha, okay, oh, we have a very beautiful idea, which really combines my mother and Natan. What is he saying? He's actually saying Rebbe's not frustrated with himself. He's almost frustrated with the other person. Not the other person is not great. But maybe life is not about one dramatic action. Life is about a lifetime of good deeds. And maybe even if none of them is going to make the headlines, I think a lot of people like this world, like this in the world. There are people who just go through the world doing nice things for people. None of them are in the newspapers. They might be just in the back of shul and nobody notices. But that's what's happening, right? So that, I think Rebbe is claiming, that's a higher level. Right, he spent a lifetime of overcoming obstacles and difficulties and do things to make the world a holier place. Right, that's where it's at. Again, we're not downplaying the value of one heroic moment, but life is not about one heroic moment. So now, what's Rebbe crying about? Let's combine my mother and Natan. Rebbe looks at these people and says, "Look what they did! They really changed their life around." But what a tragedy that they were only able to experience the shachat kind of olam haba. Wouldn't, in an ideal universe, they all would be able to experience the Shanam Harbe Olam Now, again, I'm not saying this has to be the shot. Some of you might, who like dramatic moments, might say, no, nothing doing. 
that one moment of heroism could add up to a lifetime of action. But I think for a lot of us, I think we might be drawn to this other approach. Okay, the sense that life is not about, and we all envision, oh, I'll be the one to stand up and save Am Yisrael, right? Most of life is not like that. Most of us, even if we're good people, we're not even going to have an opportunity. Like, when are you offered an opportunity to save Am Yisrael, right? But uh, oh, we'll go, we'll go with Dr. Traum, right? What if Dr. Traum, you know, every day makes people feel better and helps people feel healthy, right? That's a pretty great thing. What if he does it for 50 years? Avi, I don't know when you plan on retiring, but we'll give you 50 years, right? So that is a uh, Shunim Harbay kind of heroism, right? That's where it's at. So I think now we could close up and I'll take closing comments. Maybe that's the true depth of Rebbe crying. Rebbe has three occasions. We see someone do a singular act of heroism. And don't take this the wrong way. I am not trying at all to downplay their heroism. I think we should all have great admiration for Katia Bar Shalom, for Elizabeth Dudaya, and for our, uh, this Roman soldier. But nonetheless, we should appreciate Rebbe's cry, right? Again, they did something amazing. They should make the headlines, and they do. They make Talmud Bavli. Ah, but what wouldn't it be a better world where after they turned around their lives, they had 30 years to realize their new values? That would be really the ideal universe, and that's why Rebbe cried. And again, I think it's a good thing to think about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur time, right? We could think about dramatic acts we're going to do to make the world a better place. And maybe some of us have that opportunity. I'm not sure we do. And we could think about a, a thousand little acts we're going to do, right, To our for our family member who's struggling, for our neighbor who's struggling, right, to make ourselves closer to God. And maybe that's the way we really think about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay, anybody either in chat or you just want to take the mic? Anybody want to make a closing comment or question here? Okay, with another two minutes to do so. Yeah, please, go ahead. My retirement aside, I think there's a historical dimension also to this as well. That's, you know, sometimes comes through in these agadic stories of what is the message that they are trying to tell us in putting this story in the Gemara. And to some degree, there's, you know, and Tosfot kind of maybe hints at this, is that uh, they both, you know, Tosfot, they were during the Crusades, uh, Rebbe was during this Roman period that was just also an extended period of, of terrible uh, anti-Semitism. And there's some degree of hope that they're trying to give that, you know, what? even if you have this sort of anonymous existence, you have a moment where you can turn it all around at the end and not to feel like that you have to stand up to whoever it is, whether it's the Romans or the Christians all the time, but that you have this opportunity to do something good, even in your final moments, that there's always hope for you. Um, in the context of all of this. Okay, so I just want to say that Avi made an excellent point, and we'll close with this point. Avi, very good. Okay, number one, there's definitely a historical element here. I would say Avi's so right, even in the toast about harming yourself, there's a historical element. Because probably some of you know this, what surprising thing did Jews do during the Crusades? They not only let themselves be killed, some of you know they slaughtered themselves which is not as obvious, this is a famous question, because it's not as obvious that's luckily correct, but they said, we're going to be forcibly baptized, we're going to like kill each other. Now, again, whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, couldn't you agree that maybe that's what Tosot is responding to? So I agree 100%, this is a starkle element lurking. I also like Avi said, in a sense that it's a little bit of a balance to my sheer. Clearly, my thrust was more like Natan, uh, kind of a preference for a lifetime of heroism, not one moment. But I like what Avi said very much. 
we don't want to lose the sense of the one moment, especially in a time of persecution, right? You might have Jews either under Roman persecution or under the Crusades losing hope. And the sense that I could do one act of greatness and make it could be the most consoling thing possible. So maybe that's a great point. We'll end with that. And that was... Okay, so that's very interesting. Okay, I always have this that I want to say more, but I can't. But there's a whole interesting question about Masada, right? Is Masada an act of heroism or not? Uh, I will just mention, actually, I'm not going to get to it right now. Fine. But let's just say that it's not obvious that the crusade example is exactly Masada. Each one requires its own analysis. And it is interesting that Masada does not appear in the rabbinic literature. We only know about Masada because of Josephus. Now, I'm not saying that means the rabbis were against it. But we don't really have a sense of the, how the rabbinic world responds to Masada. Okay, be that as it may, I, as always, I very much enjoyed learning all, all of you. And I will wish you a Shana Tova. Everyone should please uh, keep coming to Illuminate Shurim. And have a wonderful year.